I got friends only wanna talk business. I got expensive, cause winning's expensive. I got expensive, cause winning's expensive. Welcome to Put That Coffee Down, the Freight Sales Show for Closers. My name's Kevin Hill. I'm your host as always, and I have two wonderful guests joining me today. They're the guys from Freight 360. You know them very well. We have Nate Cross over here and Benjamin Kowalski. So welcome, guys. Yeah. Always great to be on with you, Kevin. Yeah. So you guys are running up 198 episodes is that right? 199 just recorded this week. So we're, we're coming up on 200. Awesome. And Ben, you guys are into a few other things, some training courses, right? Yeah, we offer a course, Freight Broker Basics, which really helps you not just get your authority, but learn the ins and outs of what you need to do. Really, and I say like your first one or two years of being in the industry. So taking you through not just getting your authority, but what to do, how to actually get customers, how to develop a carrier base and, you know, kind of cradle to the grave, teaching you what you actually need to learn to be successful in the industry. There's a lot to learn. There is. You know, it's cool. So with all the episodes that we've done for the podcast, you know, whether whether people are watching them on YouTube or, you know, podcast apps and all that good stuff, um, we have a, a really a cool, strong audience of people that have uh, you, they, they know that whether they're starting their own company or they're working as an employee for a smaller brokerage, they might have some kind of training, but they're not getting it all. And they're using our content to become successful. So it's really, it's awesome to hear people's success stories just from listening to our voices. I mean, my wife doesn't even like to hear my voice, but we get people to listen to Ben and myself every single Friday when the new episodes drop. Well, I, I do know number 198 is a golden Issue one, because I was on there with you guys last Absolutely. week and, and we had a good time. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good one. Make sure you check it out. We talked all about trust with your customers. Which is a good segue into what we're going to talk about today, actually, because we're talking about trust with our customers. Today, we're going to talk about something that everyone should be hyper aware of, and they probably are after last year or so of the market, is customer churn, right? Because how to, to earn trust with your customer is what you can control to reduce that churn, the infinite number of reasons why you lose a customer are things outside of your control, but you better be aware of it, right? Yeah. I would even say, and we don't have to take the the conversation in this direction, but Ben and I, we've talked a lot about sometimes you need to be the one that does the churning, right? Get rid of, yeah. sometimes you got to cut the fat and focus more on the ones you got to, that you want to retain and grow. Uh, but you're absolutely right. I, I think the only thing I would add to it's the inevitability of the industry, right? And again, things are going to go wrong. They always are, right? I mean, you've got trucks driving down the road, you've got traffic, you've got weather, you've got manual loading of these trucks that, that get held up, you've got equipment that breaks down. You know, there's a thousand different reasons why things don't play out the way they were scheduled to, right? The question isn't if, right? It's when. And furthermore, like, what are you going to do about it, right? To mitigate that risk so that you're not churning customers every time, you know, the expected happens. And those are all visible risks too, right? We're not even getting to the hidden risks of a new CFO coming in, a new yeah. head of supply chain, a new regime, your customer losing their customer. These are things that are hidden, certainly outside of your control, often outside of your line of sight that will hit you in the head. You'll be wily when, when it happens. Yeah. So what's interesting, I remember somebody 
this is like probably 10 years ago when I first got into the 3PL side of the business. Somebody once told me like, uh, you know, no customer lasts forever. And I was like, well, what about like the, the Walmarts of the world? And it's like, well, they've only been around for a, a, a blip as far as when business has been around, right? And the way we see business and shipping today is way different than it was over, you know, a thousand years ago. Um, but your book of business will change inevitably, whether, like you said, whether leadership changes and, the, and they redo how they're going to approve transportation vendors. I actually dealt with something um, mm-hmm. just before this recording with a, a very large company. They changed their policy um, last week. So, uh, but it could be, they could be bought out. They could go out of business. Um, ben, you had a stat about, I think it was like the, the estimate looking at right now. turnover in it. Do you have that? I'm trying to find it as we were talking. Yeah. There's like That's a true. shocking stat of like, it's like 40 or 50% of the companies included in the SMP, like won't be there in five or 10 years. Um, and it's, again, it's something that I was talking with somebody else. Like, I think when I grew up in my head, like to Nate's point, I think of like family owned businesses and generational things and just things that seem to endure. It felt like forever where they've gone back for so long that you feel like that's the norm. And it is absolutely the exact opposite where like businesses, for the most part, some really, I would say probably only last a couple of years, right? And we're talking about the business you do with that business, right? Which is funny and it's going to sound like we're going down a rabbit hole of the business of the customer you're doing business with. But I think that's the other thing too. We talked about churn and companies going out of business, but also, right, like the Walmarts of the world, they might have a really big contract with, I don't know, a grocery store like Giant Eagle in Pittsburgh. And ship tons of pickles for just some random example, right? And then, you know, next quarter that that pickle contract goes to not Walmart, but to Target for whatever reason, right? Now, all those lanes cease to exist. All of the work you put in, all the carrier relationships, you still have them. But the revenue and that lane and all the margins that you spent to develop that all just evaporated in thin air because the contract changed and the per- purchased it from a different company. And that's happening constantly with every yeah. company all of the time. It really does. I think we've all seen this in our broker's lifetime, that person in the office who has this this great account, you know, maybe it's half of their book of business, maybe it's 80%, sometimes it's 90%, and they are living high. Uh, they're the superstar in the office, and all of a sudden, for whatever reason, right? Oftentimes, it's not directly your fault. It just goes away, just like you are saying, Ben. And... Then you're going from these high commission checks to these very low commission checks. And I, I think that is something that happened to quite a few people over the last two years, right? During during the the pandemic, you know, yeah. with freight rates and, you know, all the volume of shipping that was going on, it was great. Now maybe that customer hasn't walked away, but their their volume has dropped so dramatically that they're not making up fifty percent of your book of business anymore, maybe ten percent. And you're scrambling to go fill your pipeline, right? So the, I guess the moral of the story is always keep that pipeline full. Yeah. Now I want to look back real quick. I got the number for you guys. All right, go it's, ahead. It's 75%. According to a study done by McKinsey, about 75% of the companies currently listed on the S&P 500 will disappear by 2027. So like yeah. four to five years, right? 75%. Have have you ever went back and seen the charts of, say, a snapshot in time of 1985, the S&P 500, or, or 1995, and, and all the, you know, back in 85, you're like, I never even heard of this company, except for maybe in a private equity deal. 
uh, in the 90s, like, oh, yeah, I forgot that company even existed. 2005, and that's the way it is. Happened to me the other day. I was listening to a podcast. Somebody was referencing RCA, right? The company with the little dog and the Victrola that was around for like 100 years. And I didn't even realize like they went on a business in like 92 or something. They were talking about it. I was like, I remember that. I remember them literally seeing the image in the commercials. And it was like, they haven't been around for 30 years. (laughs) Because I never paid for the CDs. The year 2000, (laughs) number 20 on the list was Compaq, the computer company. Yep. Right. Yeah. Superstores of yesterday or dogs of today. Yeah, circuits. Think about companies like that. They just yeah. aren't in business anymore. Bye bye, baby. Right. Just shut down earlier this year, right? Yeah. Well, if you think about it too, yeah, bye bye, baby. Bye bye, baby, and, and bed, bath, and, and beyond, I, I yep. think is, is, yeah. If you think about, um, I was talking about this, you know, and so the, the greatest wealth transfer in, in history right now, and it is from baby boomers who are set to retire had their own business, great small, medium-sized business, maybe it's worth 5, 10, 15, 20 million. There's a huge market for business yes. brokers out there. And those are being sold to private equity, right? So it's yeah, a one odds, right? They're going to infuse cash, but they're going to come in and professionalize maybe or upgrade the management, uh, do acquisitions themselves. And guess what gets lost in the shuffle? You, transportation providers. Yeah. And all of it. Yep. yep. That's exactly right. So it's not on the end. Oh, good. I was going to say one, one of the, one of the brokers in our company, one of the things she does to try and find opportunities at companies is she, she has like uh, notifications for job boards to see when there's a, when a company is hiring like a traffic department person. So they'll know like someone got fired, somebody quit, or there's maybe just a changeover in management. She's like, well, they're changing something up. I might as well get in there and meet whoever the new person is, is about to get hired. That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. There's change all the time, you know. I mean, your your key contact that that you you've lined and dined and built this immense amount of trust with, they retire or they get laid off. Something happens, and all of a sudden, you're you don't have that that foothold in that company anymore. Yep. And even furthermore, I was going to point that out, right? I think the average tenure now for a role in a company is like between two and three years, right? You know, yeah. our parents' generation, it was like twenty to twenty five with a pension. Now it's barely the amount of time you spend to get a bachelor's degree. Are you going to spend in that role? And to, and to further that point, right? Like maybe they didn't get bought. Maybe they didn't lose their job. Maybe they did really well and got promoted, right? But guess what? Now they're the manager. They're not the one sending the business out. And you need to either get another relationship with them or hopefully the person that takes their job didn't come from another company with their relationships they brought with them and they don't just you know, you get boxed out and you basically end up with nothing. Exactly right. Yeah. I mean, that it happens all the time. I think we've all had accounts probably that that's kind of happened to us. Oh, yes. You know, it's a painful lesson to experience first person. Absolutely. So back to the, the book of business shrinking. I think it's, it's definitely important for people to be aware of that because there, there's a lot of people that they'll, they'll get one big account, right? And it mm-hmm. all of a sudden becomes like, 80% of their business, 90% yeah. of their business. That is a very, very dangerous place to be. Um, we had a guy probably 10 years ago, seven, eight years ago, maybe. Uh, his one biggest customer was over 95% of his business. And he's got a uh, brick and mortar office for his brokerage uh, agency with 10, 15 employees. And I'm like, man, they better hope they don't ever lose that account. But luckily, as it grew so much, 
he kind of saw, hey, here's what they ship. I'm obviously good at it. I've got a good carrier network. Let me go prospect similar companies. So, so it was a beverage company. So he's like, hey, I'm good at moving beverage product. Let's go find um, soda, beer, a- anything else that does something similar so I can diversify. Gives my carriers more business, more reliable service for the customers. And if you lose one, even the big one, you're not totally dead in the water. Yes. I mean, th- and that's the moral of the story, right? Is that that one big customer is going to go away at some point. Yep. I mean, they they are. It's not if they go away, it's when they go away. Hopefully, it, it's a long time before they go away, but but they are because churn is just natural in in transportation. Yeah, so I'll say too, the with the the way the economy's been the last 9 to 12 months, there's always been a lot of decrease in shipping volume for a lot of commodities out there, right? The the non um you know, the stuff you would spend your disposable income on. Uh, what we've seen is uh, our brokers that have thrived during this time are the ones that have what you, I guess you can call recession-proof or inflation-proof stuff like food products, right? Grocery chain type of, um, you know, like your your grocery stores and your your produce and things like that, that no matter how bad the economy is, people are still going to be eating potatoes, Right. People are still going to be eating corn. They're going to still be eating oranges that come out of Florida. So that, those are kind, kinds of ways that you don't have to be an expert in there. But if you can diversify your book a little bit to whereas you have something that, hey, it may be seasonal around the, you know, throughout the year, but an economic downturn is not going to stop them, right? A wildfire might or, you know, you know, a bad uh, virus or flu might like the chickens last year or whatever was all the eggs. But um, a lot of that stuff. People are going to buy it regardless. Your margin might change a little bit, but it's going to be shipped. Well, the other thing too, I want to add to that, and this came from a call I was on today, actually, with one of our prospects that I was working with. And the thing that we're seeing is, and this is what they do. So they're in bulk liquids and they sell to the companies that manufacture all the consumer goods. So it goes into pharmaceuticals, the lotions, the foods, all that glycerin, things like that. And what's also happening is, Things are more unpredictable in the future because of the interest rates going up and not knowing what consumer demand looks like. They're shortening their buying decisions, which means instead of them buying things on a month or two month basis, they're buying them weekly because they want the best price. Makes sense. What that means for transportation is they're reevaluating who's moving what on every lane way more often, which makes it one as an advantage, more likely that you can be considered as a new entrant. But if you have them as your largest customer and you've just been sitting back watching the loads come through, somebody is, if you're not playing offense, somebody is playing offense against you and you're just not playing defense and you're losing, whether you realize it or not. You're exactly right. So we have prospecting, but but knowing the trends of of that customer, right? Yeah. The, the winds of change, right? The, the volatility in the market, being able to uh, recognize that and be in front of it instead of sitting back on your on your laurels and um, and say well I, I have all this trust right because one of the the, the, the countersides of trust the, the more someone trusts you the more you execute the more your premium goes right the the, 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 the fatter that that margin gets because you know you're doing a great job and uh, that's just a natural evolution but there's a tipping point there where that premium gets to like well I that that shippers Someone in that organization is going to and I better shop around. Yeah, we, we better shop around. So I see that that's happened to me a lot, right? 
the, the more trust I build, the, the higher I charge. And they're like, just, just do it. You're going to, you're going to do a great job. I don't care. And then something happens. You just price yourself out of your own customer. My entire career at the largest, largest brokers that I personally worked with, and that is the story of every relationship I had the beginning all the way to the end. And I can tell you at least a handful of stories where I remember literally being on the phone. I, I called, you both have met Bruce, the guy I used to work with. And I remember calling him and I was like, this was when the ELDs happened. And there was literally more freight that we can move, open checkbook for months. And I remember being on the phone after like a few weeks of this. And I was like, I explicitly remember staying there going, I don't think I'm going to have to prospect anymore. Like, I think this is just it. Like, I'm just going to ride this to retirement was like my mentality. Like, this is just going to last forever. And inevitably, all the things we discussed change, right? Mostly what you're talking about, Kevin, is that bill gets to be big. The congestion starts to ease. Things change in the supply chains, no matter where you're at and what you're doing. And pretty soon, that CFO or somebody looking at that line item is still really happy with the relationship, but they start going, well, let's see if we can get a little bit to some of these other carriers that are giving us a discount and still maintain some service levels. And it always cycles, which is why you kind of need recessions to work some of these things out as well in the economy. And they're not always a bad thing. They do create lots of opportunities and they get rid of a lot of the garbage in our industry, a lot of the fraud and a lot of the people that really shouldn't be there in the first place. And I think these aren't necessarily all bad things. Yeah, I was going to say like the the peak of the pandemic. I mean, anybody was getting into brokerage and trucking because Raise your hand. I got a truck. Yeah, it's just like, <laughs> you know, yeah. there was just so, so much business to go around and you could have just kept adding and adding and adding and people would have all made money. And then eventually, obviously, you get that natural correction of, you know, you have high rates, you kind of, you, you have an economic downturn, but I agree with you, Ben, it's good. It's a natural way for the economy to just kind of flush out the ones that aren't necessarily needed to keep the the ship afloat because uh, there are there was a lot of bad actors there and there still are there's a lot of fraud going on um we were just so busy looking at dollar signs the last two years that we probably didn't even know about all the double brokerage that was going on and things like that but we'll see how things uh how things turn around here in the future we will you know and it's important i, I don't I, I know i don't talk about it enough is is churn and being watching out for that churn because as we said, I mean, we, we've all seen people in the office. We've sometimes been that person where that customer leaves and you don't have anything to fall back on whatsoever. You don't even have have anything that's even close to to happening. And that's because you've been servicing this customer. It's been it's 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 nice and easy to to fall into this relationship and and just come into the office every day and know you have loads and uh, you just have to communicate effectively with them. And oftentimes you, you become buddies with, with that person and, and, and that shipper and, and life is golden until, until it's not, until it's not. And then it's just, it's just like you are literally just starting over again. And I, I think, I think we all agree with this. It will happen. Yeah. Yeah. It will happen. So do not be off guard. Yeah, and if you're not prepared for it, you're going to end up being one of the ones that leaves the industry. I had a, a good yep. friend of mine that started off um, in brokerage, was able to build up a decent book of business, left, moved to another company, had really one solid customer that came with them, 
and decided he never wanted a prospect ever again. And it was a matter of like probably it took about four years before it caught up to him, but they changed the way they started tendering. They went to more of a bid process instead of spot. So then his rates weren't as comparable. Then his go-to carrier, because he never had to post a load, his go-to carrier stopped hauling that lane. He's trying to find other carriers. And then the traffic manager that he's buddies with gets fired. So now he's got no relationship left. He doesn't have the customer. He's not given competitive rates. He doesn't have his his buddy that's tendering loads. And he doesn't have his buddies that are driving the trucks, taking care of his customer for him. Now he works in disaster restoration, like a serve pro type of company, not broker and freight. So... And it's all inevitable. He's like, I don't, you know, I don't really want to prospect anymore. I'm like, I would tell him like, it's, if you don't, if you don't get any new customers, there will come a time when something will change and you'll lose that business. He wrote it as long as he could, but the inevitable will always happen. I would say that, and again, one of the advantages of starting my career at a bigger company, I spent a lot of time asking questions of other brokers, right? And the two that I asked the most were, I would look to what Kevin's saying is, who is the putting up the biggest numbers and who can I get to introduce me so I can just get a little insight into what they all have in common, right? And the same thing on the other end, like looking at why people are washing out and not staying there for even a year or two years or the guys that made it one year and wash out within the second year. And almost all three categories, the same answer, right? Every single top broker I've ever met and talked with had one thing in common. They never, no matter how large they got or how much volume they put through, stop prospecting. Maybe it was only a few calls a day. Maybe it was only a few calls a week, but it always remained a constant in their just life. That was just always something they were keeping top of mind. They were looking for opportunities. Maybe they weren't putting large volumes in calls, but it was always there. The middle category is exactly what Nate described. Somebody's got one customer. They get the Pareto principle, 80% of their business from one customer, right? And it feels good to not have to do the scary hard work of prospecting. So they don't, and inevitably that changes, and then they don't want to do it again. Or the money isn't right, because when you get used to making 150 or six figures and you lose that customer for three months, it takes more than three months to get that back, that numbers back up. And a lot of people just can't even cash flow that gap, so they have to wash out, go to another industry. And then the first category is always the same. They just didn't pick up the phone enough. They just didn't pick up the phone enough to make enough phone calls to create enough relationships to actually make it to the next stage. Almost I unequivocally. Add, I want to add into your point there, right? The so like Kevin, you said churn, right? It's a, it's an inevitable thing. And Ben, you mentioned people that aren't used to the lifestyle change. I've seen way too many people, not even just in freight, but in sales in general, they think they have this massive recurring income and they've spent the money already, whether it's through massive car payments or they finance a boat. It's ridiculous, right? That's exactly what I learned. And they lose a customer and it's like, dun, dun, dun. You got to pay the fiber. (laughs) If you look at your book of business and you have the Pareto with with one client, yeah, don't buy the, don't buy that Mercedes. Yeah. Don't buy that Rolex. Don't buy the boat. Don't buy the over, oversized house, right? Because it's not going to last forever. You're going to be stuck with that. You can't cash flow yourself to, building up that book of business again and you're screwed. But we, we see that all the time too, right? Yeah. yeah. It's sad because you, you're like, you're happy for somebody that they're doing so well and then it stings even if you're not them. But you, you see them like, where'd your car go? Well, you either got reported it to sell it. You know what I mean? Like, and they're coming with a clunker, but. Uh, it's a hard aspect of coaching to do 
It's a hard aspect when you're working with somebody that is in that, though, because you want to have them keep the excitement and to carry the momentum into their calls, right? They always say, like, you know, the best way you can close more business is when you get off a good call, jump on the phone again, you've got that energy. But it's that fine line, right? Because if you're not pointing out the fact that they're not doing it enough, and usually myself included, none of us are doing enough to be or to maintain where we want to or to get to where we want to. And that's really just the long and short of it, right? And there are techniques and things, but it takes activity. It takes doing the hard things no one wants to do consistently day in and day out to maintain a profession in any type of sales, specifically transportation. And I think that the big theme is your safety net in sales. <laughs> What's your safety net in sales? It is having a full yes. top of that funnel. Full pipeline, always, no matter what, that is your safety net. Yep. I, I think a good thing too, and I was talking about this too, again, in my own prospecting with one of our partners, the company, I was like, look, you know, I'm building out our CRM now. I'm literally taking leads. I'm creating the funnel, right? And he's like, well, you know, like, what do we think the growth is? Where's the value? I'm like, this is the value. I'm like, I'm creating it. This is the pipeline. Like, these are the initial relationships. We've got to have lots of conversations, but like, this is it. Like, this is where our money will come from. It won't come from anywhere else. We need lots more of these and to do this as consistently as possible indefinitely. Like, that's how you build a company. And we talked about that off air. You were pointing that out, Kevin. Like, even in some of your other ventures that you've worked on, it's like, you don't go out trying to close business at first. You go out establishing relationships and to understand needs. And if you keep doing that and genuinely care, you end up with what you're going after anyway, I think. You do, yeah. You, you just just getting as many conversations as possible, talking about what that other person wants to talk about, what their needs are, and um, you pick your spots. And you don't pick your spots as soon as they close their mouth either, right? Yeah. You don't have to, to be attacking like that um, unless you're desperate. And that's what a lot of desperate people do, people who you know need a sell today. Um, if you have that full pipeline and a good book of business, you don't need to sell today, you know, and that's where real growth and real, really big accounts that they develop over time. That's a really good point because when you have, when you can be patient, you're going to make way better decisions. It's people that are up against the, they're backed into a corner, right? They're going to, they're going to pick the wrong carrier, right? They're going to onboard a really bad customer that nobody else wants to work with. But if you give yourself just a little bit of patience, you'll focus your time on the ones that really matter. And it's not, again, it's not an overnight success. It takes time. But people oftentimes say, oh, this low-hanging fruit, I'm just going to keep going after it. Well, low-hanging fruit is there just to get you started, right? It's just mm -hmm. to give you, get you going a little bit. Don't always stick with that mentality. You should have the the mentality of surplus versus having a shortage of things. And that'll it'll just change the way you think and the way you, you make decisions in business. It is. And we've been talking about our customers turning on us. Nate, you, you mentioned earlier in the, 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 the conversation about you churning your own customers. And it's all about profitability. It's all about margin. It's all about time spent. Uh, oh, yeah. We've all spun our wheels on really bad customers, spending way too much time thinking something good is going to happen at some point. Um, even when they're telling you no, Nothing good is going to come out. Think about, think about the, the think about any time your phone rings. If you look down and you're like, "Oh, yes, that person." If you get that gut feeling when it's a customer of yours calling you, because you know that they're just going to complain about something, or they'll take thirty minutes 
to have a phone call that could have been done in 30 seconds or via text or email. Those are the customers that should be red flags to you. We talk about it when it comes to year end and planning for the the next year. We say, you want to take a look at your book of business and get really granular. Look at what is your average profit per load for a, for each specific customer. How much time does it take for you to work on those loads? And you'll come to find out you might be either losing money um, on a certain customer because they might be paying late and they're taking a bunch of your time. Opportunity costs stops you from growing in other areas. Um, or you might find out you're only making the equivalent of $5 an hour servicing them. And then there's your gem customers that you want to nurture because they're equating to $100 an hour of your time, or $200 an hour of your time. But yeah, we, you know, I think it's probably healthy to see about a 10% turnover, um, five to 10% on your own accord, right? And that doesn't mean calling your customer and cussing them out. It just, maybe you don't bid on those customers' lanes that you know are headaches anymore and do a little bit less and less and less until eventually maybe it's just not a good fit anymore. Agreed. I think another good way to look at that too is you can kind of start bidding them just for what your time's worth. And I find that when I do the same thing that Nate's talked about is you tend to see the opposite where, again, the vast majority of books of business for freight brokerages, I think, follow the 80-20 rule where 80% of their business is coming from 20% of their customers. And it's usually one or two, right? But the opposite is usually true where most of their time usually goes to the least profitable customers, but that they've had the longest and aren't willing to let go of. And that right there is, is what Nate pointed out is what's preventing them from getting more of the customers in the first category, right? It's just, oh, I've worked with them so long. They're happy with these rates. I just kind of do it for what it's worth because I've done it. And it's like, yeah, but that is your hour and a half to two hours a day that you're telling me you don't have that you're not using the prospect. Like, again, these are the hard decisions I think mm -hmm. that we make as business owners. Even if you're just a freight agent, you don't technically, have, you own your book of business, like you are responsible for it. And again, if you're just saying to yourself, I don't have time to do what, you know, we're all talking about to prospect, maybe you need to look at your customers and look at where your time's actually going and get some objective numbers on it. Like put some dollar signs next to it and then ask yourself some hard questions. Would you rather hunt for another one that is like your top customer and are you willing to risk the guy that is essentially paying you five bucks an hour when your top customer is paying you 450 bucks an hour exactly. it's the predator rule i mean it all delves into this and you see this played out over and over in in all of life but mm -hmm. we, we can take it in business right is is that 80 percent is or the, the bottom 20 wait the bottom 80 percent are going to take up wait i have this all wrong yeah, I'm just flipped it. So, yeah, uh, so 80% somehow. Yeah, 80% of your business comes from 20% of your customers, but usually 80% of your time right. it's allocated to your yeah. bottom 20% of customers. It, it's it, like if the you look at por brand portfolios at companies, right? Mm -hmm. You know, on that S&P, right? You exactly. look at every single one of them that they have their blockbuster products that follow that rule. 20% products generate 80% of the the revenue. Uh the the other 80% take up their time, resources, money, trying to get those products to that level, which they probably will never do. You see that on sales teams, right? 20% of your sales team generate 80% of the revenue, but you spend 80% of your time with the rest of them. on the people that aren't producing. And, um, and the, the, oftentimes you hire more salespeople. Well, 
you're just filling in that that bottom 80% for the most part, right? You're just growing that unprofitable uh, expense. Yeah, in the hopes that you get, again, one or two more of your 20 percenters, right? That can generate yeah. some more of those. It's the one, it's the very few winners that float most of the businesses, especially on sales teams as well. And if I had one one thing I could go back, if I ever did brokers again, I, I would be very nitpicky on cutting customers that waste my time. Because I had a whole stable of them at one point. Uh, it's hard to do, though. It is very hard to do. Especially if you're like a nice person. It's yes. hard. You're firing somebody, essentially. You're not working their job, but it's you're having to tell somebody, you're giving somebody the rejection that you're afraid to get yourself. Yeah. I would I, say I that's really one. Fired one. Huh? Yeah. I mean, I'm curious how you actually fired them. And I was going to ask, too, like, is that pretty much the only way you see this play out is like to actually have this conversation? How, how else can you achieve the same objective? Oh, uh, you can do it. Dude, you could do the whole ghosting methodology yeah. that I kind of outlined before. You start uh, responding to less and less emails. You start, you know, start sending a voicemail, not responding to text. Yeah. Eventually they, they might get the hint or they'll call you out like, what's going on? Are you, are you avoiding me? So, I mean, there's that way. Or you just have the conversation like, hey, we looked at stuff and I don't think we're going to be a good fit for you guys moving into the next year. We're going to close out this year's business that we have talked about. But moving forward, unless X, Y and Z changes, it's just not a good fit. So. And you do uh, a really I, I think a really good method is pricing for your time, right? Pricing yourself out of the market, out of their market. So That's you don't win any bids. But oftentimes they'll come back three, six months down the line because no one else wants to deal with the headaches either and they've raised their prices. So then, um, or what they'll, they'll pay, right? So then it gets more in accordance to profitability versus time. And, and maybe something happens. Maybe it doesn't. You win either way, really. Yeah, I, I always took the page out of the construction book. Like my dad was in construction. I grew up working on job sites when I was a teenager. And I remember like learning how the bids went. And I used to ask, I'm like, oh, why was that bid like 50% more than what it was on the other building? And he's like, oh yeah, it's super dirty. We don't want to go there. It's going to be a pain. So the guy who did the bids, his name was Rick. He's like, yeah, he just throws an extra 30% on the work that we don't want. So if we win it, it's at least valuable enough that we won't care if we go. But if we don't win it, we didn't want it anyway. So it's kind of a win-win. And I was like, oh, I kind of applied that on a load-by-load load situation. I was like, yeah, I was running these for, you know, buck 85 a mile. And I was willing to do it for 75 bucks a load. And then my approach is usually I'm just going to up at 25, 30%. And if they just, they'll usually just stop sending it to you. But to Kevin's point, you still might get the high priority loads because that trust is still there. And it might you might get that Friday load where you can throw a $400 margin on it because they need it to be done right. And they know you will. And I feel like it can be a win-win. Not always. Sometimes it still blows up. But. And I think that's how carriers oftentimes yeah. fright whenever you're, you're, you're calling around stuff, load boards and stuff. Oh, I don't want to go there. And they'll, they'll throw out an outrageous price. And you're like, okay, well, whatever. Um, but, but it's a, a good philosophy, right? I mean, if it doesn't fit in with what they want to do, you, know, you got to pay, pay them to, to make it worth it. You can have it cheap, you can have it fast, and you can have it good. But you can you can only pick two out of the three, right? <laughs> You're exactly right. You're exactly right. Well, guys, thanks for, for dropping by um, on this episode of Put That Coffee Down. If our audience wants to go out there, if they, 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 they want to find the, the podcast, the YouTube channel for Freight360, where do they go? 
So you can go to freight360.net and that uh, that's our website that has everything in there. There's a um, a content section that's got the podcast videos and whatnot. But we're available on YouTube um, for podcast audio only, iTunes, Spotify, um, pretty much any. There, it's it's syndicated out across all the big uh, all the big podcasting uh, apps out there. But yeah, you guys do a lot of shorts on on YouTube. Yeah, we've mastered that. Yeah, yeah. A few months back, we learned apparently that uh, you know we got to get with the times with these these young kids these days. They like the short the shorts and all that. So we're learning it. Well, thank you again, um, Nate and Ben, uh, for your time today. And we'll see you on the show once more soon in the coming months, I'm sure. Absolutely. I got friends, only want to talk business. I got expenses, because winning's expensive. I got expenses, because winning's expensive. I've been paying all the work. And I've been shutting down the stars.